excited. So, hey, guys, we are um, just coming off of our passion series. Man, I enjoyed that. Did you guys enjoy that? Like, that was just, man, that was a powerful series. And um, we ended it last week with talking about the resurrection of Christ. And if we continue to read into Acts, we see that the followers of Christ are, are then filled with the Holy Spirit and they're empowered with boldness and with power to carry out what God's called them to do. And we see where the early church is beginning to take shape. It's beginning to form for the first time without Jesus being physically there with them. Do you think they were a little nervous? Like, where do we go from here? Maybe so, but I think when the Holy Spirit showed up, things changed. And so I think when we're trying to figure out what our modern day church should look like, that the early church had a good example for us. Not that they had it all together because we know that they were only human, they weren't perfect, but these were people that the the core group had spent time with Jesus. They'd spent time listening to him. They'd seen him teaching. They'd seen him heal. I think they had a pretty good grasp on what Jesus's idea of his church should look like from this point moving forward. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. And so I want you guys to stand up with me one more time here. Trust me, you're gonna have some time to sit down. I've got eight pages of notes for you this morning. (laughs) I'm excited about what God's put on my heart to share with you guys today. And we're gonna start in Acts chapter two, verse 42. You guys let me know when you're ready. All right. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that leads and guides us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to just do something new in us today. May we be changed by your word today. May we be transformed by your word today, God. God, I pray that you open our ears, open our hearts, make us willing to receive what you have for us, that we would walk out these doors changed and different, changed by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So we read here that the believers in the early church, it says were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that they're devoted to fellowship with one another. They're devoted to the breaking of bread and devoted to prayer. If I'm devoted to something, it's a priority in my life. Right? I'm devoted to God first, above everything else. I'm devoted to my husband next. I'm devoted to my children. I'm devoted to ministry. These things are priorities in my life. 
The things that we are devoted to are the things that we make time for. Would you agree with me on that? That when we are scheduling anything else, when anything pops up in our schedule, it all has to take its place around the things that we're devoted to. So they didn't just show up to hear a teaching about Jesus and leave. Verse 46 tells us that they also ate meals together in each other's homes. I'm thinking this is the very first connect group. What do you guys think? They're having these meals together in each other's homes. They're praying together. They're spending a whole lot of time together. It's not just showing up on on a Sunday morning or whenever they were meeting and taking off the box, right? They were devoted to each other, to the community, the body of Christ, and to growing in their relationship with Christ together. So there are people here as you can imagine, from different backgrounds. Some of them may have had a few different beliefs, but their faith in Christ is now uniting them. Now, we know that the more people we have in one room, the more differences there are, okay? There's a lot of people in this room right now. There's a lot of people watching online right now. There's a lot of people in Berkeley Springs. There's a lot of people in New Hampshire. A lot of people are joining us for this service right now. And I think it's safe to say that there's a lot of differences. Would you guys agree with me? There's a lot of personalities happening right now. Some of you guys are dressed in blazers this morning and dresses. And some of you guys are in t-shirts and tennis shoes. And some of you guys, when it comes to animals, you prefer dogs who are my dog people. All right. Some of you guys prefer cats who are my cat people. Two of you. (laughs) Pastor Chris isn't here. You can raise your hand. I won't tell. (laughs) And then, you know, some of us have to have coffee in the mornings. Who are my coffee drinkers? All right. And who are my people who just cannot stand coffee? I just... I don't understand you guys. I I just don't. I'm sorry. Look, I need two things for my day to be complete. Jesus and a latte. Okay? Jesus and a latte. I have to have those in my life. So it's safe to say that we're all different. So some of us are easy to get along with, right? Some of us are not so easy to get along with. Don't look at the person sitting next to you. Just smile at me. Some of us are kind of quirky. I won't make you raise your hands. Some of us have OCD, some ADD, some ADHD. Let, let me let me tell you guys, one of our kids, and I'm not going to point out their name, but one of our kids recently shared with us that they have this thing about stairs. And there has to be an even number of steps. And if they're going up the steps and they find out that it's going to be an uneven number that they have to jump over the last one. I don't know. I, it's, it's quirky, right? It obviously comes from their dad's side of the family is all I can say. So we can say that there's a lot of p- different people here. Who here comes in and you can honestly say that you like to sit in the same seat or at least in the same row or same vicinity on Sunday mornings? Okay. A lot of people. Okay. And we, you know, even the people that are watching from home right now, some of you would probably say that you're sitting in your seat. Who here has a seat at home? Okay. A lot of us, my father-in-law had a chair in the living room. He had a recliner and that was Ricky's chair. 
Okay, so you knew that if you were sitting in his chair and he walked in the room, whether you had to sit in the floor or not, you got up out of that chair because that was Ricky's chair. (laughs) Okay, you guys, some of you have a chair. All right, so we can say as human beings, we're unique. We're all different. Some of us more different than others. Again, don't look at the person next to you. And the more people we have together, the more differences we're going to see, which means a lot of different personalities and beliefs being pulled together right now, even at this very moment, all because of our faith in Christ. So being connected in the community, guys, I just want to communicate that it is so important to be connected to the community, to the body of Christ. I cannot tell you the amount of times that, that people have been there for us when we needed them. Back in 2016, I had to have a, a major surgery and the church we were going to at the time just rallied around us. We had to be at the hospital at 5.30 in the morning for this surgery and the pastor and his wife showed up at 5.30 in the morning to pray over us. That was huge. And this, this pastor actually recently passed away over the past few weeks. But, you know, in the testimonies that we heard that, that this, you know, they, they were huge about that. They were huge about community and loving people and, and taking care of them. And then while Chris is sitting in the waiting room, one of the ladies from the church shows up and she sits with him. And then somebody else shows up and brings him lunch. And then they brought us meals for like a week or two afterwards. It was such a huge blessing. Faith in Christ unites us in a way that nothing else can. We can put our differences aside. We talked about how many differences we might have. We can meet together. We can learn and grow together and pray together all because we love Jesus. And at the same time, we should all be for each other, cheering each other on, building each other up. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So at that time, iron contained just different amounts of impurities. And so there were different strengths of iron. And so when a blade would become dull, it was sharpened by taking something that was more abrasive and harder than that particular tool and grinding away the material on it. So we know that over time, a knife blade is going to become dull if we don't keep it sharp, if we don't regularly maintain it and sharpen it on a regular basis. So what do we do if we're in the kitchen and we pull a knife out of the drawer and we go to cut a tomato and it's dull and it does nothing but make an indention in the skin? And trust me, I know because I have a drawer full of dull knives. What do we do? We toss it back in the drawer, right? And we grab another one that's sharper. I don't know about you guys, but when the time comes for God to to use me, I don't want to be found dull, right? I want to be sharp. I want to be on point. I want to be ready to be used by God when he's around. I don't want to be thrown back in and replaced by somebody else. And so this passage is telling us that part of the process of be staying sharp and being sharp and becoming sharp is being connected to other people in the body of Christ. Sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need to be challenged. Sometimes we need someone to be a little abrasive. Would you agree? I know I do. And by doing that, our spiritual edge stays sharp. 
Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more you, as you see the day draw near. So we know that the Bible tells us we should love one another. This passage is telling us that in order for us to grow to the point that we love people the way that we should, and that we're doing what he's called us to do, that we need to meet together in community. And it says to do this all the more as we see the day drawing near, because you guys would agree with me, this world just gets more evil every day. And this is saying all the more as the day draws near. He's saying you're going to need one another. You and I are going to need each other. We're going to need to stay sharp. We're going to need the encouragement that each other provides. But one of the problems that we can easily run into within our community is comparison. Anybody run into that? Comparison can drive a wedge between a community of believers like you wouldn't believe. You've probably seen it happen. Maybe you've done it. I've been there. I can honestly say I have been there. I have compared myself with other people in the body of Christ. I have been jealous and envious of other people in the body of Christ. People that I saw God using. And I was like, you know what? That's a door I wanted open for myself. That, that's where I feel like I should be right now. And I was jealous and I would compare myself to them. If we were to back up to Matthew 18... This same core group of people that, that are leading this early church are being divided by comparisons at that time. Matthew 18 says, at the time that the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. At that time, they had taken their focus off of what Jesus was showing them, off of what God wanted them to do, and their focus was where? On themselves. And so if you and I were to leave this room and we were to go to the toddler room, you would see them all playing together, and not one of those kids is worried about social status. Not one of them. They don't care who was dropped off in a Bentley. They don't care who rode up in a hoopty, as we used to call it when I was younger, a hoopty car with their family. They don't care who's wearing brand new clothes or maybe their clothes have been passed down through 12 siblings. It doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter that the kid is a nose picker or glue eater. <laughs> Any of you have glue eaters? So when I was, um, when I was, Going to church as a child, the church that I attended at the time was also was a private school. And so for Sunday school, we would meet in one of the classrooms. And we had a, a girl, bless her heart, that was a wax eater. And she would eat the crayons. And she would eat. So, so the teacher um, for the school had like, can, like a candle on her desk. And she would have to hide it on Friday. She would hide it in her drawer because she knew on Sundays she would see pieces broken off of it. Because this kid would eat it. And Dixie cups. Did you guys know that Dixie cups are coated in wax? So when we would have our snacks, she would drink her, her water. And then she would tear up the Dixie cup. And then she would munch on it like beef jerky or something. I kid you guys not, but it didn't matter, right? We weren't worried about social status or who ate wax. It wasn't about that. 
But they had taken their, their, their minds were now on themselves. You see, there's a reason that Jesus had the disciples together. Because they were learning the importance of community. He's like, look, it's not going to be long, but I'm not going to be here with you. You guys are going to have to stop comparing yourselves. You're going to have to put your differences aside. You're going to have to learn to get along. You're going to have to get over yourselves, right? You're going to need each other. And so I'm here this morning to remind us that as a body of Christ, it's time that we get over ourselves. Because we need each other. We should be coming together as one body, meeting together, growing together, moving in the same direction, fulfilling what God has intended for us to do together. There's no room for comparisons or any other petty things that might divide us. But then I believe here in Acts chapter 2, we see that the early church has figured this out. They figured it out. They were putting aside their differences. They're not comparing themselves with one another. And they're devoting themselves to one another and God. They are for each other. They're for the community as a whole. And they were the community that began to impact the world for Jesus. The next thing we see here in this passage is that generosity is huge in their community. In verse 45, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, understanding they're not going into debt to provide for others and that this was not something that was required of them. Because if we read in Acts 4.32, it says, The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands, plural, and houses, plural, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. And then it goes on to talk about Joseph who also took a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So they were taking the extra that God had blessed them with, this extra land, extra houses, whatever extra they had, and they would sell it and they would take the money, the proceeds, and they would bring it to the community, to the body of Christ to provide for those who had need. But in order to know what the needs were, they had to be close enough to the people in the community. How am I going to know what your needs are if I'm not spending time with you? They had to be close enough to know when someone was in need and generous enough to step in and fill that need. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what? for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to go out and buy your Bentley. No, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will provide thanksgiving. It produces thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanks to God. This passage says that he multiplies your seed for sowing and that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God blesses us as we are generous and he gives us more than enough. 
years ago, um, before my husband got his job on the railroad, we were, uh, we were broke <laughs> to say it. We were broke. We, my husband had been in construction and, um, he was a drywall hanger for years and it was feast or famine. We had four young kids and I remember one point, um, I went to church on a Sunday. I'm assuming you, you were training for the new job that was coming up or whatever, but I know that he wasn't there with me. And so when I walked in, we were having something similar to like the compassion, the compassion week, the compassion Sunday, because I walked in and they had these kids pictures printed out and they had them across the front. And the only way I can describe it, it was almost as if there was like this spotlight that was shining right on this one kid's face. As soon as I walked in the door and I knew God was telling me, I want you guys I want you guys to sponsor this child. Two problems. First problem was I didn't make decisions like that without my husband, right? I mean, anything that that was a monthly decision, that money was going out on on a consistent basis, it was something that we always discussed with each other, and he wasn't there. Second problem was, like I said earlier, we were flat broke, Right? We didn't have the money. Like we, we were trying to figure out where, where the money was coming from to feed our own four kids, much less how are we going to feed someone else's kid? But I just knew that I knew that I knew that we were supposed to sponsor this child. And so I signed up to sponsor this child. And I can tell you that God blessed us. We did not have need. We needed of nothing. God poured out his blessings on us. He opened doors supernaturally, blessed us because we were obedient. Fast forward to a few weeks ago. My husband, we we were in the kitchen and he's like, you know what would be really cool? I think we should take like a hundred bucks and we should go into Berkeley Springs in town and just, just pay for some people's laundry at the laundromat. And just, if, if they need prayer, we'll pray with them. You know, but let's just go and just love on some people and just bless some people. And it wasn't what, two weeks go by. It was just, just a couple weeks after that. We get a letter in the mail and there's a check in there for a hundred bucks. And the person said, do with this money whatever God has you to do with it. And he's like, I know exactly what we're supposed to do with that. And so we were able to bless some people that day. And I'm not telling, I'm not sharing this with you. Please understand for a pat on the back. I'm sharing with this with you because there's power in our testimonies. And this is a testimony of how when you're obedient, God not only provides for you, but he continues to give you overflow to bless others. I cannot tell you the amount of times that God has, <coughs> sorry, has supernaturally blessed us through other people. Um, at the time when we were waiting for, for him to, to get on this job with the railroad, there was a, a friend of ours in the church that had um, asked Chris to come over and to bid a job to hang sheetrock on an addition that he was adding on his house. So I rode over to him with him to this house and Chris comes back out to the car and he hands me a handful of money and he's like, I want you to count this. And so what happened was before Chris left, this guy was like, look, 
God told me to give you this money that's in my pocket. And so he hands Chris the money. And so I count the money and it was $700. That might not sound a lot to some people, but for us, it was huge. And he's like, I need to call him because I don't know that he knows how much money he gave us. And so he calls the guy and he's like, look, I know you said that God told you to give us the money that's in your pocket, but maybe you put your hand in the wrong pocket because there's a lot of money here. And the guy's like, no, he says, first of all, I don't want to know how much money it is. I don't know. And I don't want to know. God told me it's yours. And so not only that, but then when Chris finished the job, he paid him an extra hundred dollars on top of what they'd already agreed with. That's just one example of how God blessed us. In Luke 6, 33, it says, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God doesn't just call us to be generous to those who can return the favor. He doesn't call us to be generous to those that we really enjoy being around. Sometimes he calls us to be generous to those who may not like being around to those who can't return the favor, or maybe even to those who wouldn't return the favor, even if they could. The early church didn't pick and choose who they were going to be generous to according to their favorite people in the community. Verse 45, we read that they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. True generosity reflects the condition of our hearts. The Bible tells us that God is looking for a cheerful giver. Jesus' ultimate act of generosity was to give his life for people who did not deserve it, for people who could never repay it, and for some who don't even admit that he exists. The ultimate act of generosity. And then if I read here in James 1.17 that says, every good and perfect gift is from above. All good things, everything good that I have comes from him. It all comes from him. So if it all comes from him, who am I to decide who does and does not deserve to be blessed with the overflow that he's placed in my hands? In Matthew 14, in verse 13 through 19, we see that there's a crowd of people that Jesus has been speaking to. And the disciples come to him and they're like, look, these people are hungry. You need to send them away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus replies, he says, they don't need to go away. He says, you give them something to eat. And then they come back to Jesus like, Jesus, we we don't have, how are we going to feed all these people? We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says, bring it to me. He tells the crowd to sit down. He takes the five loaves, the two fish, he looks up to heaven, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then what does he do? He gives it to the disciples and has the disciples pass it out to the crowd. Jesus is the supplier. Jesus is the multiplier. 
then he hands it to us. What are we going to do with what he's given us? What are you going to do with what he's put into your hands? Luke 6.38 says, give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. As we bless others, God supplies all of our needs and then more. What are we going to do with the more? Are we going to keep it all for ourselves? Or do we take the example of the early church and bless those that are in need? And then the last thing I want to point out from this passage is that this was not a closed group. Verse 47 says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This means people that were coming into this community, they're carrying baggage. These people are brand new to the process of sanctification. But yet these are the same people that are now worshiping in the temple with them. They're now being invited into homes to eat with them. And they're also the same people that are being provided for. They're not being rejected. They're not being pushed out. This passage says that the Lord added to their community daily, which means that they had to be ready and willing to accept into their community whoever it was that the Lord was adding. Are we as a church ready to open our doors wide to anyone and everyone that the Lord wants to add to our group? We live in a society where people are desperate to feel loved. People are desperate to feel valued, to feel noticed. They're being deceived by the enemy because they just want to be accepted. They want to be valued. They want to be a part of something important. And when they turn to the things of the world, when they turn to what the world offers, when they turn to sin, the world gives them a big cheer. Cheers them on. Good for you. Way to go. But unfortunately, over the years, the church as a whole, not Hope Community Church, but the church in general, has created a reputation for itself of only accepting those who have it all together. How many times have you guys heard comments when you've invited people to church or maybe even just in passing, like church wouldn't let me through the doors. I'm too much of a sinner. I wouldn't have the right clothes to wear. How did we get there? How did we get from the place of the early church where the Lord is adding to their numbers daily, where they're providing to anyone and everyone that has need? To saying, you can only come in here if you look a certain way, if you act a certain way, if you have it all together. Whatever happened to grace and understanding the sanctification is a process and that the church is, is our responsibility to walk some of these people through that process, not push them away. I love our church family here at Hope and one of my favorite One of my favorite core values that we have is process. We understand that that just because someone gives their life to Christ doesn't automatically make them perfect. That there's there's some things that they're going to need to walk through. We're not pushing people out because they're not living up to a certain standard. We're putting our arms around them. We're saying, you know, we're going to walk through this with you. We're going to walk alongside you. We're going to help you through this. I think about it like this. Many of us who have had kids... And teenagers, you know, at some point we've taught him, them how to drive a car. And, and they make those signs that say new driver or caution driver in training. It's not to warn people around them necessarily, but 
Mainly it's to say, can you please have patience with them? Can you have some grace with them? Can, can you remember that one, at one point in your life, you were also a new driver? Sometimes we just need to be reminded where we came from. That at one point in life, we were all new believers. That we didn't just give our lives to God and suddenly become these perfect, sanctified individuals with halos over our heads and wings on our back, right? That we need to remember that we need to give grace to people that are in the process. And that part of that process is that we need to walk through it with them. We need to be willing to walk through that process. Years ago, my um, two brother-in-laws were out of town working at a job and they decided on a Sunday morning that they were going to visit this church while they were out of town because they couldn't go to their home church. And so they walk in and they're dressed nice, but they're wearing shorts. And they're kicked out of the church because they have shorts on. Now for them, guys who were, you know, they were used to going to church. They had a solid, you know, relationship with God. They, they kind of laughed it off and, and found another church to attend. But what really bothers me is I ask, I wonder how many people went through the same situation. How many people walked into that church and then walked out of that church and never walked through another church door after that? At 16 years of age, I was partying. I had walked away from my, my relationship with God, making wrong decisions. I found that I was pregnant at 16. But for me, it was a wake-up call. Because I said, you know what? From this moment on, every decision that I make doesn't just affect me, but it now affects my child. And so I rededicated my life to Christ. I'm like, God, I want to go after you with all that I am because I now also have this child to bring up. And I'll never forget the first Sunday I go back into church and I go and I sit down where, where, where my group of friends and I used to sit. And one of my friends that, that I had grown up with and known for years and years comes over and she sits down next to me. And I just happen to look over where she's looking, where her mom is sitting, and her mom is shaking her head like this. Don't sit by her. Suddenly, I wasn't good enough. Something had changed. I wasn't good enough anymore. And I'm not telling you this to feel sorry for me. I'm telling you this because this happens far too often. I had a solid support system. My parents were Christians. We had some people in the church that loved and helped me get my life back where it needed to be. But what about people in that situation that don't have that support system? We need to realize that as a body of Christ, we may be someone's only support system. That God sent them to us for a reason. We may be the only Christian community they have in their lives. And it would be really sad for us to push them away back out into the world because it's the only place where they feel accepted. God's greatest commands are to love him and love people. And that's going to include people that are difficult to love. People who look different than us. People who speak different than us. 
In 1 John 4, 8, he lays it out and says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God has called you and I to love people, to value them the way that he values them. He never asked us to be a screen door to our community, filtering who's allowed to come in, who we feel is good enough to come in. I think sometimes it's healthy to evaluate the way that we treat people that the Lord's adding to our own community. When is the last time that I was in the church lobby and I saw somebody walk in that I'd never seen before and I went up and I greeted them and I welcomed them and I made them feel, feel, feel like they were at home and they were with a family? When's the last time I invited someone to come and sit with me? And trust me, I know it can be difficult and we can say, well, that's what the greeters are for, right? But as followers of Christ, shouldn't hospitality be a lifestyle? Not just a job description that's filled once a month. With all the sin and hate going on in the world, shouldn't this be the one place that people can come in and find love and compassion and grace? There's people that are going to walk through these doors that are saying, God, this is it. God, I'm giving you one chance. I'm giving this church thing one shot. What are they going to experience when they get here? We need to ask ourselves, are we taking the time to make people feel welcome into our community of believers? Or are we just hurrying to get to our seats? What does our silence communicate to the people around us? For me, as a pregnant 16-year-old girl, the silence of the people around me was deafening. We need to understand that our unspoken words can have just as much impact on someone as our spoken words. Are we noticing them and still leaving them out? Or are we doing everything we can to make them feel a part of our family, of our church community? I'm going to invite the band to come up with me. Look, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not standing up here talking to you guys as someone that has it all together. Because I, I was praying and I'm writing this and I'm thinking, well, okay, I need to work on that. And I need to work on that. And I need to work on that. But here's what's important for us to remember is that I am where I am today because somebody saw value in me. Somebody in the body of Christ saw value. You are here today because somebody saw value in you. Somebody shared the gospel with you. My guess is, is that you were not perfect the moment you chose Christ. I know I wasn't. Still am not. I make, I make terrible choices. I sin daily. But that's what God's grace is for, right? This passage says the Lord added to their numbers daily. We can't save anyone. Only Jesus can do that. God has not called us to save people, but he has called us to love people. Back to the story of the crowd of over 5,000 people and the disciples' response are like someone else can provide for them. Someone else can greet them. Someone else can mentor them. Someone else can pray with them. Someone else can invite them to sit by them. And I feel like this morning Jesus is saying, you do it. I want you to do it.
I want you to make them feel welcome. I want you to make them feel loved. I want you to make them feel loved and valued the same way that I love and value you. The early church was not a high society social club, but it was an open invitation for all. For all who would come, for all who would choose Jesus. Bible tells us to love God and love people. What is, what does this look like to love this individual person at this very moment? What do they need most? Do they need help feeling part of the community? Do they need to be provided for? Do they need someone to wrap their arms around them and walk them through a difficult situation? Do they need help with the process? Guys, I know this can be difficult to do. This can be so difficult. But you know, the Bible talks about us being a living sacrifice. What does that look like? It looks like putting our our own agenda aside, our own feelings aside, and picking up God's agenda. What is God wanting me to do? And just like God provided for those 5,000 plus people. Just like he took that, those loaves of bread and that fish and he divided it and handed it to these disciples who says, I don't have what they need. God, I'm not prepared. I'm an introvert. I can't go and talk to somebody that I don't know. God, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have anything to give to this person. God is our source. He's the one who multiplies. He's the one who supplies. And as we're obedient, we step out in obedience and say, God, I don't have everything. I don't feel like I'm equipped. I don't feel like I have what I need. Remember that he's our source and he's going to bless it and he's going to put it back in your hands and he's going to say, you do it. You provide that person what they need. I supply it, you give it to them. Will you stand up with me this morning? I want to pray over you guys. Jesus, we thank you this morning that we don't have to have it all together. That we don't have to be perfect. All we have to do is be willing to be used by you. To be willing to walk in obedience to what you have called us to do, God. I thank you, God, for your reminder this morning of the importance of community. May we not neglect meeting together, but may we come together and grow together. God, may we, may we give of our overflow to the people around us. May we give out of obedience, Lord, because of the blessings that you've given us. God, use us today. May our, our doors and our arms be wide open to anyone and everyone that you would add to our church community, Lord God, to the body of Christ. May we see people not through our own eyes. May we not see their imperfections. May we be reminded that we're all in the process and give us eyes to see them the way that you see them, a heart to love them the way that you love them, Lord God. We thank you for this today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. We hope to see you next week.